carrying on from last week's show, this is Big Red Potion Cold Mode. Exclusive, so wait September uh, for the PSN. You know what? There are two words I I think I couldn't hate more when combined, and they are timed and exclusive. Because that's just stupid. That's just <laughs> pointless. Like why? I mean, I, I get why the deal is done, but all you're doing is making one set of fans annoyed because <laughs> they they're a bunch of people that are only going to get it on PlayStation Network. Only have PS3s, um, and they can't they can't get it because. Microsoft wants money. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> let's not get down that route because this is it, meant to be a very good game, and I'm in, I'm intrigued to see if you thought it was too. Yeah, I did. Um, I liked it a lot. I've played through the entire game co-op. I've not touched the single player yet, so um, I'm I'm going to go back and check that out at some point. I've one thing that I know they did that sounded really interesting is they completely redesigned the game for single players. So the puzzles are different. You don't just play with an AI. Um, so I'm kind of curious to see how that works. But anyway, um, I played a co-op. I played most of the game as Totec, the little, the second player, and still had just as good a time. I think that both characters are very, very well balanced. And a big before part you, of that... Before you, go down, before you go down the thing, for someone like me who's not played it, how would you describe the game in terms of its genre? Oh, okay. Um, it's still um, an action-adventure puzzle game. Um may not quite as much adventure, but action and puzzles. So, you know, it's isometric. And, you know, I, I was very skeptical of this game when I'd seen it before. I mean, I played the demo D3, and it, it was pretty good. I still just wasn't too sold on the idea of an isometric Tomb Raider, because I, I feel like the best thing about Tomb Raider games is being able to explore these big, lush, grandiose environments in, in a 3D space. Um... And also the big appeal of them is just how remote you are. You feel like you're in a place that nobody's been to in, in, you know, eons. So playing isometric with another person just sounded like the wrong direction in every way possible. Such a giant departure, really, when you think about it, yeah. And they pulled it off so well, though. I do think it's kind of an apples and oranges comparison, though. Like, it's very well in in a very different way. There are a lot of people out there saying this is the best Tomb Raider has been in you know, 14 years or whatever. And I don't quite follow that. I think the anniversary is still a high point. And I think Underworld was very good as well. But I mean, the, the, not- the, the developer also is kind of looking at it as an apples and oranges thing because it's not a Tomb Raider game, is it? It's Lara Croft and the Guardian of Light. So, I mean, it almost like invites you to not compare it to other Tomb Raider games, but people are going com- to compare it to other Tomb Raider games. They just are. So... Yeah, and I, I guess I'm I'm guilty of that as well. But uh, <laughs> and you're right; they really should be compared because they are so different. Just the way they play. I mean, this, is, this has puzzles, quite a few, in fact. But it's 
it's a different type of puzzle solving. Like, it's very... It's not like you stop and are lost and don't know what to do and have to, to really suss out a solution for 10 minutes or so. It's more like one person stands on a switch and it has an effect and they're like, okay, if I sound this, then you stand on that. And then I, you come around there and you're never like stuck wondering what to do for that long. But you feel like each person has a very strong role to play um, as you solve the puzzles. And see, one really cool thing about it is that most of the unique abilities to each character are supportive. So Lara has a, a grappling hook, which sure she can use to, to grapple with new places, but a vast majority of the time, she's using it to make a bridge so that Totec can cross, or using it to lower him or lower herself and um, you know grab something off a ledge or pull somebody up. And conversely, Totec has spears they get thrown to walls and he can't stand on them, but Lara can. So it, it doesn't matter who, who you play as that much because it's mostly just about helping the other person. And in that regard, the, the game just really, um, you know, inspires a lot of cooperation. And they do that so well. The, the combat's quite good too. It's basically just a twin stick shooter, but Tomb Raider always have problems with combat, but, you know, People enjoy twin six shooters. Like it's very simple, but but effective. And you can plant a grenade and set it off whenever. And there's a clearly marked grenade radius, so you kind of know to to avoid each other's blast radius. And it's it's very it has a really good pace to it. You're constantly moving, and, and the puzzles get very clever too. Like I can't really describe any of them on podcasts. They just sound a bunch of gibberish. Um, <laughs> trying to describe a space like that, but I, I found myself using elements like the grappling hook and spears and some abilities I'd had all along in unique ways by the end of the game. Like there's all these old challenge rooms that usually have a, a special item that you can get, like some kind of power up and you, they're entirely optional, but I did all of them and, and each one is really fun to figure out. So it's, it's really good that way. The, the only qualms I had about it well, for one, the story's rubbish, but I didn't care that much about that because that's kind of always been the case with Tomb Raider. Um, but one thing I, I I did notice that I haven't really seen anybody else criticize is that the art direction is very repetitive. Like, it's it's good, but the environments are very savvy. It's like the outdoor environments, the whole game takes place over the course of one night, so all the outdoor environments are kind of, you know, bathed in a a dark blue light and then the indoor environments are all kind of brownish and that's about it. There's a little bit of variety later on, but not, not a whole lot. And I understand that it's a downloadable game. So they're not going to get as vast a, an array of settings, but I feel like the bar for that's kind of been raised. Like that bank had a lot of variety to its settings. I think lost winds too was, you know, excellent in that regard. It had a very rich atmosphere and, you know, not a, a huge variety, but enough so that it felt like the environments were detailed. There's something interesting and new to see. And I kind of wish that this had been, if not a longer game, just a little bit more varied. Maybe had like a desert environment or a snowy one or something like that. And I, I imagine given the success of this, it'll probably have a sequel and maybe we'll get a, a larger, more varied package that way. And it is a very minor thing. It's just there was kind of something about it that felt a little bit samey and slight in that regard. But otherwise, I, I might just be asking too much. But it's <laughs> a lot of fun. 
So I, I have a kind of a question to you following up with that. As you say, it's, you know, it's good enough to deserve a sequel. We probably will get a sequel. But we, you know, Crystal Dynamics are working on another Tomb Raider uh, down the line, which we're told, you know, it's not not affected that that game whatsoever. And uh, obviously, you know, the, the the franchise had pretty bad few years, last sort of three or four years with. Uh, in the, I'm not necessarily sure Underworld was a bad game. I think it was actually a, a good underrated game. Um, I agree. Yeah, I, I I thought it. You know, the environments at times were really gorgeous, but um, it it didn't sell well, and it resulted in a lot of a lot of jobs lost at Crystal Dynamics. Like, do you think a it would it be a better decision to to just switch? kind of tack and say well this is what we're going to go with for this series and we, we've done 3D and it doesn't really work and now we need to we, we, we think this one's you know people seem to be taking to it more or, and 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 be to that question like could you see a, a series as big as Tomb Raider really doing that like really saying well now we're going to switch to download I mean it's interesting because you, there are there have been a few series which have traditionally come on Consoles and then and have switched now to maybe handhelds or, or download only. Like, do you think like downloadable games are? Yeah, exactly. Like, do do you think do you think um, downloadable gaming? I guess if you want to call it that, online gaming, whatever, is at a stage where it's big enough and successful enough to maybe lure a bigger franchise to switch over to it. Um, I think so. I mean, I. As people you know, me will know, I'm, I'm a huge advocate of of digital gaming. Not so much because I like not in physical copies, because I do, but I'm I'm getting over that. But just because there's so much more. I mean, double counts. They're doing four new games, and at least like at least two of them are going to be digital. And I believe at least three, maybe even all four. Um, and they're coming out soon. One of them's coming out in two months, and the next one's going to be I think quarter one next year that hasn't even been announced yet, and. I mean, this year's just been so great for digital games. And in that regard, yes, I do think there's a lot of room for that. I'm not sure about for giant franchises like you're talking about that. About like, I'm not sure I'd want to see, um, you know, Metroid go to digital. I mean, it'd be great if they could have a, a full 2D, you know, Super Metroid-like game um, released digitally, but I don't think that Nintendo would do that on it's interesting, you know, but you look at like something like Sonic, which is, you know, okay, admittedly, we've still got Sonic Colors coming out for the Wii, and and uh, that's going to be a proper retail release. But uh, after years of of really bad, bad retail games, um, now then now they're switching to this downloadable thing, and all of a sudden, there's even despite the, the years of suffering, there's this expectation that because. The, almost like the limitations of what you can do with a downloadable game kind of enforced them to go for 2D. Uh, but that's what the fans have wanted for so long. Like I, It's almost like, in some way, the restrictions of downloadable games, because everyone's on board with it, everyone accepts it, Like it, it almost gives the developer a bit more free reign to produce a really good, or at least a, a, a really well-designed game, rather than something that's risky, like maybe a, uh, some of the recent Tomb Raider or Sonic games have been. Um, yeah, I think that I, I think that I like downloadable when when it's like a two D game or two and a half D game, like you know, trying or something. I'm not totally sold on full three D games being downloadable. We haven't seen too many of them, and a lot of the ones that have come out just you know they look good, but I kind of wish that they 
you know, had maybe been disc releases. Um, like like um, Siren Blood Curse, which I got on a disc because I imported it. But, um, yeah, it was a pretty good game, but, like, I didn't really see that needing to come out online. It, um, it seemed a bit like a, a venture rather than, you know, a necessity. Like yeah, an experiment, really. not very successful from what I hear. Um, in the case of Tomb Raider, though, I'm not... I wouldn't say that they should switch over because I, I like them coexisting because I did like Underworld and it's a shame that it sold so poorly because it was good. People should have played it. Um, I mean, I guess charging 60 bucks for it, maybe, maybe that's why. And I think it kind of came out during the holiday season. And I think that I, was the big killer for me that it came out during the holiday season. That was 2008, wasn't it? 2008 holiday season. And there were just too many games, <laughs> too many games yeah, that I, I my my favorite Tomb Raider game is Anniversary. I got into the series late. Anniversary was my first game, and then I went back and played Legend and, and then Underworld. Um, and Anniversary was cheaper. I think it was three bucks when it came out. Right. So I almost wish that they just maybe didn't try and make Tomb Raider, you know, a AAA release, and were just comfortable releasing these games at you know thirty or forty bucks, and maybe not having cutting edge graphics, but just being good games. Um, but I don't know. I, I do think that there is hope to totally um, bring back Steam to the franchise. It'd be really hard, but I think that the level design and all the quality is there. And I know they have talked a little about the, the next Tomb Raider game that they kind of want to be open world and a little more horror themed. And you know, it's funny. I was talking to a friend about that, and he he didn't like the idea of an open world Tomb Raider game thought that I'd totally ruin it. And and I disagreed because two words. Soul Reaver. That's what Crystal Dynamics did before Tomb Raider, and that was basically an open world Tomb Raider game. A horror game wanted that. And I think that at least the first Soul Reaver was very good. I didn't like the second one as much. But I think that there would be potential if they kind of made it more Metroid like but with less combat and I, I think there's still room to do a lot of cool things with the series. But I, I do hope that they continue this as kind of a side thing, maybe between the bigger games. I think they they almost certainly will. Like you know, like you said, it's it's been so successful, and I think it was a really canny thing to get in as you know part of the summer of arcade, which has always been a real good platform for for games. I think you know last year a lot of the, lot of the games we were talking about at the end of the year were summer of arcade games. You've been playing a uh, 3D dot game heroes lately. What have you? Uh, what have you thought of that? You know what? I, I'm I'm a bit underwhelmed. I've got to admit by 3D dot game heroes. To, to for people who've not played it, and I, I actually think there probably aren't that many people who've played it. Um, if you sort of think about the developer from software, is even though they had some success with Demon Souls, they're a small developer and. Uh, Atlas is the publisher, I believe. So, you know, I, I don't think it got a lot of word out. And it's a, it's not the kind of title that springs off uh, from the nether shelf. You don't see 3D Dot Game Heroes and think, well, yes. You know, it's just, it's a, it's a strange name. Um, and it's a strange game, really. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a PS3 exclusive. And it's, 
I guess the the best way to describe it succinctly is that it's an homage to Zelda, which has the visual stylings of something a bit like Lego. I guess would would that be fair? Oh uh, yeah, that that sounds correct. Yeah, um, and I mean, it, it, this is the thing. This is where my my problem with the game starts. It's I mean, there's homaging a game, and then there's homaging a game that's doing, you know, doing service to game and doing service to game. In my word, I mean, it's just it's so true to the Zelda formula. Um, it it really it it feels like it. I don't know, like it's it's pretending to be cleverer than it actually is. I mean, the the, the other side of this game, of course, is this really con, uh, convoluted confounding, confusing character creation system, which is amazing if you get your head around it, because you can create all manner of, of uh, shape, or uh, you know, 3D shape to be, for your character to be, like they, they, I remember the trailers, they showed a tank, and they showed like a flower, and all this stuff, like all these crazy things, but, you know, that's that <laughs> that's only so exciting for one side, like after I created my character, I just that was it, I was done. And all I did really was use the template and, and make a few colour changes and a few slight changes, but even that I found quite difficult. So you've got this amazing technology at work in this game. And I mean, it is actually one of the most beautiful video games I've played. It's gorgeous. It, I mean, I, I don't know what you thought, but I, I, I'm looking at it and you've got this, this Lego, 3D Lego look and these glimmering waters and incredible shadows. Uh, amazing animation, like the way that the, the it, it moves like you imagine. It's almost like you see those Lego YouTube animations, but this is properly done, like really well realized and really looks gorgeous to, to watch, even like, you know, in with you controlling it. Um, I, I thought it was a stunning game. I don't know if that's just me. I, if, to me, it looks like one of the, the best looking games I've played. Huh. I guess I, I wouldn't quite go that far. I mean, on a technical level, yes, it is. It is very polished and like the glimmering water and everything, but I don't know. I just kind of felt like it was cute, but once I saw it once, it didn't. It didn't really stick with. I didn't maintain that sense of wonder throughout the whole game. Whereas when I play like a Zelda game, I'd be very curious about what environments I'll get to next and what the next boss will look like. And with this, I'm like, well, it's just going to be you know blocks and and it'll. Still look cute, but I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's just a lack of sincerity um, because of the art style. It's just kind of it's trying to be more goofy than actually mystical or wondrous as, as the Zelda games were. Mm. Yeah, no, that, I think that's the thing. I'm, I mean, I'm, you're quite right, and I, 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 I should really amend it. It's one of the most technically best-looking games. I mean, the art there is no art direction really. It's it's so close to sort of the the 2D Zeldas in terms of art direction uh, that you, there really isn't any art direction um, but I mean if you put that aside there's amazing character creation system it's a very technically beautiful looking game um, I mean it's just a poor man Zelda otherwise for me you're, you're, you're doing very much Zelda-y things from start to finish. You're you're going through dungeons. You're going meeting people in towns. They're even like the same same weaponry basically. I mean, you get the boomerang, you get the candle, you get the the what else do you get? How far have I got? <laughs> um, I probably guess what else you get in the rest of the game. I've got the boomerang. I think. Uh, what else do you get later on? And I can I tell you remember. what I've got. I actually can't even remember anymore. It was, it was you get you get the you get the hook shot to move over from one platform to another. There's that. Uh, 
you you get the bow and arrow, so you know you're getting all the Zelda staples, and uh, even your your the music. My even the music is so much like Zelda. It's like this this play on it, and it's it's not quite plagiarism, but it's 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 dangerously close to the line where you're sort of looking at this game and thinking, you know, you. It's like a cosmetic makeover that that really hasn't removed anything that's deeper than the superficial. Um, and like I said, it, 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 in terms of play, it really is just a poor man's Zelda because there isn't really the charm of a, of a story there. Uh, there isn't the the sense of a world. There isn't the sense of progression really that you get with Zelda games. Uh, I mean, it, I don't know. It just. Uh, it's almost like they're they're saying the world was screaming out for a, someone to do homage to two D Zelda and put it into a three D kind of isometric. Is it isometric? Is, is that fair to say? It's kind of semi isometric, I suppose. I don't know. I don't know it's the, the overhead style, as opposed to like yeah. the tilted Diablo style. It's, it's not tilted. Um, but it's still it's still isometric to some extent. Did you take my advice and, and change the outdoor camera because the default one is not intuitive? No, it isn't. I, I do need to um, if I do carry on playing with it. Um, but but, then it's the same angle as the dungeon camera. Right. Just basically the bird's eye view, essentially. Um, yeah, and you can make it even more bird's eye than that, which, which is also good. Either of those two options are fine, but the, the ones that have the camera closer to the ground make the game harder to play. To me, it feels like the developer has this idea that people are screaming out for a 2D Zelda to be remade in a 3D plane and to really see how that would be. Like, So you're thinking Zelda 1 and uh, Link to the Past, which is what these, this uh, uh, 3D dot game here is, is, is more sourcing than anything else from the Zelda series. You know, There isn't Ocarina of Time in there. There isn't uh, Twilight, anything of the more recent 3D Zeldas. This is really the 2D Zeldas, which is it's sticking close to. But giving it that 3D look and a sort of Lego-y, look as well um, and and a bit of differences in terms of the sword like this this sword which can be really kind of customised to to be it's interesting but it's it, I don't know you, you, you'll tell me more about that because I think it, you had you did a bit more of the sword than I did but my point is is that it's trying to put this 2D Zelda into a 3D perspective and I, I just, just uh, so what really like i don't i'm more i'm more intrigued by uh the 2d zeldas on the ds and the and the 3d zeldas are out there and i i i really didn't see any charm to it any reason to to play it because you know i've played 2d zelda i'm done with 2d zelda if i want to play 2d zelda i'll go back and play a link to the past you know i'm, I'm pretty much on the same page as you i mean i reviewed i gave it 7.5 i may have been a little too generous even with that like it's I had fun with it. It's not a bad game. It's just not as good as any of the Zelda games. Except for maybe Zelda 2, depending on how you look at it. But that's kind of an odd comparison. I mean, it's it's still fun. It's like if you play all the Zelda games and you you still want more, it's it's an enjoyable experience. But it didn't, it didn't have that sense of wonder or surprise to it. It was just kind of a cute, quirky homage. But I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, it's not poorly designed. I, I'll give you that. And I, I guess it wasn't you know, in a maybe... few ways. Like the controls weren't that great. They they were workable, but they weren't quite as good as Zelda. Um, one thing I noticed was that you you have to collect these. I forget what they are, like little bits of blocks or whatever. And if you collect, you know, enough of them, you can get a 
a, a really good sword, and I got the most expensive sword you could from collecting the most of them, and it wasn't as good as a sword that I just found out in the field somewhere. So it's like, yeah, there's no reason to use that. And there was one point in the game, you know, one, depicting it here, where the 3D perspective really threw me off. I was in a dungeon, and there was a block that I thought was um, was obstructing me being able to pass, but apparently I, I could have gone behind it, and I just couldn't see because of the perspective. And I ended up, you know, completing the dungeon anyway and wandering around for, you know, a couple hours not knowing what to do. And apparently I missed, like, that dungeon's, you know, ne- necessary item. And right. You can still beat the dungeon without it. It's like, oh, I guess I knew that thing, so I could set trees on fire. I had to gain facts that one. Just, uh, I mean, that's you know, fair enough. Those are all legitimate criticisms, but I think, like for me, like I think it's in in terms of what we expect from games now. Like, if you're going to do a Zelda adventure and really um, not put any story in there, and there really isn't a story in this game at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, like, I, I think what the, the the other option you you have because it's a long game, it's a very long game. Like, it's fifteen to twenty hours. It's not a short short game by any means. Um, you need to put more humor in there because there are touches of it, and when they, and when they are there, they're brilliant. Like all these retro references. I think there's a a guard at the castle gate who uh, makes something about a reference. <laughs> Uh, it's a Bionic Commando reference. Yeah, uh, it's a Super Joe's in level 7. Yes, that's it. And there, there are all these, these things, and there, there are these sort of references to Zelda tropes, like, you know, holding the thing aloft your head or breaking into people's homes and, you know, knocking their pots over and stuff. And, like, there is there is that stuff, but there isn't nearly enough of it. And I feel like, you know, if you're going to do a game like this, the, if, if it's an homage, you really have to add something to it, uh, if, add a bit more extra sort of features, don't, don't stay too true, and if it's a parody, then you really parody it up. And uh, I don't think 3D.Games Heroes was either one of those, and to me that just made it really very boring very quickly. Um, like I said, like you know, it is enjoyable, it is fun, but Zelda is a franchise that most of us have played, certainly most people who are listening to this podcast. And... Uh, I feel like most people listening to this podcast will play, if they do play 3D Game Heroes, they'll get this feeling that I got that, well, I would just rather be playing a Zelda. And and for me, that, and that if that's the feeling that that game is germinating, then you've kind of you've failed, really, to create a compelling video game. Um, I, I tend to agree. I mean, it's it's still pretty good, but, you know, it's not as good as what else is out there. There is one really hilarious moment at the end. Um... Which I'm never going to get to, so please, please if you don't want to okay. listen, then yeah, there's a spoiler, but uh, please tell me. It's not a bad spoiler, because it's not like about the plot, but um, you, you get to the end, and you, you're confronting the, the head villain, and he says, like, you know, join me, and I'll give you all the power, and you can, can rule this world with me, and you have a menu, and you can select yes or no, and if you select yes, you just get a game over. And I thought, <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that, that is quite clever. I mean, what, what's, what's weird about it is it's by the same people who are Demon Souls, who did Demon Souls from software, and Demon Souls is probably at the moment my favorite game this year, <laughs> and, and yet, and yet, Three Dot Game Heroes is up there as one of the games that I've been the least interested in this year. So, 
it's just this this weird you know dichotomy <laughs> this weird contrast from this developer and i just i wonder what the next game's going to be like to be i mean it, it could be brilliant or, or very mediocre who knows I imagine this probably had less development time than Demon's Souls. I mean, it was a budget game, so I imagine it's kind of a smaller little side thing for them. But yeah, I tend to agree that the only thing I thought that really did that interesting, besides the aesthetic and some of the humor, was the the sword mechanic, which which I thought was pretty cool. How your sword's ridiculously powered up when you're at full health, and then it goes, you know, from from that to you know, infinitely yeah, you take even the slightest. And that that reminded me of Demon's Souls a bit. Uh, yeah, you know, it's got that it. kind of that 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 permanence. You know, like if you if you lose that, then you're in trouble. So you got to be ultra protective. Yeah, yeah, I, can, I, do, I can see that. And I do think the game gets a little better as it goes. There's nothing vastly new about the second half or anything. Just the dungeons get a little bit more complicated, a little more tricky, and a little more fun to to figure out. But you know, beyond that, it's not it's not anything I would have been sorry I missed. Like. You know, I'm kind of glad I played it, but mm, you know, I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be frank. I, I, I couldn't recommend it to anyone, and and I think that's, you know, people may say that's harsh, but you know, I, I don't think from are gonna complain because I'll be spending most of the rest of the year recommending Demon Souls for people to play, and I'm sure uh, I'll be doing as good a publicity pitch for that as anyone else. Well, so, I, um, I, I would certainly recommend the Spirit Tracks above uh, Three Knocking Heroes, which is a cheaper game, and everyone should play Spirit Tracks. Hey. Ready. It's more than just a collection of great gaming podcasts. It's more than just a large community of smart, friendly gamers. It's more than your average gaming experience. Whatever you get from your current gaming experience, get more. Come on, listen. last month I, I played through Torchlight which um, is very much a Diablo <laughs> clone <laughs> um, talking about another game that's an homage to another game you know Torchlight is very much a, a clone or an homage to, to Diablo but it does enough of, uh, like I, I think that's the thing it does enough of it quite you know on its own it has the pet element uh, it's got the steampunk side to it which, which uh, you know Diablo is not quite that that kind of game uh, the, the art style is, is gorgeous uh, it's just and there, there isn't really any of the niggles like you were mentioning that there these kind of bad design things that are there in 3D dot game heroes. So Torchlight is just very, very well designed from start to finish, and um, that's why there's so much interest in the second game and the uh, the MMO after it, and the second game having co-op. I mean, that's going to be uh, so popular, especially you know while we wait for Diablo three. Um, so I would heartily recommend Torchlight for any Diablo fans. I think it's just a it's it's nothing amazing, but you will be playing it uh, until the end of the the night, you'll, until the small hours of the morning. Um, the other game I've been playing is Dragon Quest Nine, and I only wanted to bring that up because I've been really kind of intrigued by the 
publicity push that it's had here in the, in the UK. A uh, lot of lot of adverts on telly for it, and uh, I figured, well, maybe it's going to be a bit more accommodating to to new players then, because you think of the DS audience and the games they have advertised uh, for that platform, and it's just not. It's just another kind of difficult to acclimatize to, but you know, reasonably good. Uh, handheld GRPG. I'm really enjoying it. Uh, it's nothing, again, nothing special, but I am really enjoying it. And it's, I think it's a, it's a good game. And I would recommend it, but I wouldn't, you know, give it to say my girlfriend to play. And I gave her Final Fantasy X to play and said, you know, here you go. I think this game is quite well designed and, and uh, you know, good for, for new, you know, JRPG uh, noobs, if you want to call them that, to, to have a go at. But I wouldn't give a Dragon Quest Nine to play because it gets very challenging very quickly and. Uh, it's just an odd thing that it got all that all that publicity. I don't, I don't know. I mean, this, we were talking about this earlier. I, I think it, it it is kind of indicative that maybe the DS at the moment there really isn't much to talk about. That uh, it's it's kind of being left to to die a little bit out there. I don't know. Is that is that just me? Um, I I kind of feel the same way. Although I haven't really been keeping up with it too much, but I haven't really seen anything on the horizon that has really piqued my interest as of yet. So. Uh, I guess we'll, we'll have to buckle down and buy 3DSs. Yeah, unfortunate us having to play the 3DS, which looks like it's going to be the most exciting handheld console for for some time. But I, I mean, and to say you know leaving the DS out to die is a ridiculous statement because I don't think something that's sold 120 million copies is going to die. But I mean, it's just it's you know I I, I think uh, we think of how many games there have been coming out for the DS, how many good games there are. Uh, usually there isn't this big, long gap between games, but, you know, there you go. I guess Professor Layton, the next Professor Layton coming out in America and, and Europe will be the, the, the next big game to come out on that system. Anyway, that's what I've been playing. Uh, I know you've been playing quite a few downloadable games, Jeff. Um, yeah, just um, last night I was playing some Shank. I, I completed the single player and played through about half of the co-op campaign. And I like it. I don't think it's quite worthy of some of the, the praise it's gotten elsewhere. I know a, a few big publications have given it just, you know, the highest score that it could get. And I don't think that it, it's perfect. The controls are mostly good, but I, I feel like there's too much going on on screen at once. And maybe it's just the enemies don't telegraph their attacks very well, but I feel like a lot of the time I'm just kind of lost. But But otherwise it's like there's a pretty robust move set and I feel like there's even with a few cheap hits here and there, there's still quite a bit of strategy. The thing that I'm kind of annoyed by with it is that um, I feel like I didn't really get a good grasp of the, on the combat mechanics and come up with some interesting moves and, and strategies until after I'd been the game. So I was playing on hard mode and really, you know, messing around with that. But the thing about hard mode is that there are no checkpoints in the levels and it just makes it so tedious. Like, it's fun, and then I die, and I'm set back 10 minutes. I'm like, okay, I don't want to play this anymore. And I, I understand the appeals. I think they're trying to make it like an old-school NES game where it is, you know, ridiculously frustrating. But um, that's too bad, because, like, I'm, I'm really starting to get into it now, and I might be hitting the threshold of where it's uh, beyond my realm being able to play. But I didn't read all it's, it's kind of frustrating, isn't it? I don't know. That that seems to happen a lot with me, actually. Games where I just I'm getting into it and then I, I can't can't get any further. 
Yeah, it's you know it's still fun. I, at the very least, I had probably it was about four hours for the main game. I probably put about an hour and a half, two hours on hard mode, and another two in co-op. So I've still gotten like eight hours out of this game so far, and and had a good time with it. It's it's not a high recommendation, but um, I'd say if, if it looks like something that's your thing, you play the demo and you like it, you know, I, I would give it a shot. Um, also played And Yet It Moves, which um, Sinan and Joe have talked about before on the show, and it's a very good game. It's, you know, quite, quite simple in terms of it's just um, a platformer, but you you rotate the environments, and, and you can freeze your character mid-air and rotate everything around him, but your character still keeps momentum. It's, it's a little trippy to, to describe, but to say look up a trailer for it, it's, it's fun. I mean, it's a little short, but there's a lot of good variety, and it keeps playing. It keeps introducing new elements up until the end, and and I really like. So, you, so you did finish it? Oh yeah, yeah, I finished in one sitting. It's it was quite short. I think it's about two and a half hours. But then there's bonus levels that are um, very difficult. So I, mean, I don't know. This, I was just to say, me, me and, when me and Joe and I talked about that, the the thing that I think it excited both of us, but certainly excited me, was that that final chapter where really it just. It does become very trippy, and there are a lot of new elements introduced. And I thought it was a for for a good sort of forty five minutes it was a really excellent video game. Yeah, I was curious um, if the the bonus levels I played were specific to the Wii version. Did you have any black and white levels? Oh gosh, now we're going back a year and a half. Um, I don't think so. Okay, because initially the the first black and white level was just going through the end credits. Um, yeah. Okay, so you had that, and after I think the, so. The end credits were like four or five other black and white levels that had that aesthetic and no music or anything. And and they're very challenging and very cool. So I feel like those took me, you know, over an hour to go through alone, just from a few of them. Um, but yeah, I, I had a good time. I'm The game has absolutely no story, and I'm wondering how I feel about that. Like, it, I understand that, that maybe not all games need story, but I kind of feel like I wish I had some kind of indication when the game was going to end because it ended very abruptly. Like I got to the, I entered a new level and a friend had texted me a moment ago. So I paused and texted him back and then I went to play again. I was like, Oh, I guess I've beaten the game and this is just the end credits. <laughs> I had no idea that I'd even beaten it when I paused. <laughs> That's interesting. I know it so, never struck me as a game that, that needed story. I have to admit, but I can, it's interesting sort of, to to consider like you know story can actually provide that that frame for knowing when a game is actually going to end. Yeah, like, I'm not sure it, they even needed a story per se because that might have been too ridiculous or or just kind of forced on. But maybe some indication, just chapter it, it three out of three, something like that. Um, yeah, like World of Goo. Granted, World of Goo did have a story, but like yeah. after you beat each each world, you have to go back to the main the main uh, menu. So maybe if you just told me right from the get-go that there are, you know, three chapters and, um, and you got to select each one, just, you know, some way of letting me know that I was near the end. Mm, <laughs> so I thought yeah. I another, another hour or so left and I was like, oh, huh, that was, that was really getting good. And then I just <laughs> did it. Um, but it's, it's a really cool mechanic. It kind of reminds me of, it's almost like a 2D Mario Galaxy. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's got that weird kind of physics about it uh, with the... Oh, God, it's so long since I played this game. It's terrible that it's gone from my memory. But we did talk about it on a co-op mode uh, 
in last year, and I'm sure I, I also much more sensible. Yeah, there there is a, a the kind of gravity in the physics and all of it. And I think it was interesting. I did I did wish it was a bit longer, and I did wish there was more that final chapter in it. But um, before we move on to the next game, we should we should pass on some thanks. I think to uh, to I don't know yes. who it was who got it. Yeah, but you, you um, did, yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, the story of how I got this is a little bizarre, but I I'd mentioned on Twitter that I was deciding whether I should play any other moves or Shank. And a few minutes later, I got an email from one of the developers of, of Angeta Moves, and they'd, they'd sent me a code for it. They, they, said, they saw my tweet and were like, hey, let me make the decision easier for you. And, <laughs> and it was so generous of them. And, oh, absolutely. Uh, it's possibly because they, Sinan and Joe, talked about the, the game last year on Big Red Potion, so maybe they follow the show and... Um, if, if they if they do follow the show, I think they do. Um, I've got a, I think I've I remember seeing one of the guys and uh, saying something about the show a while back. But if you do follow the show, guys, thank you so much for that. That's really very kind. And best of luck with the WeWay game. Yeah, it was um, Felix who sent it. So thank you, Felix. That, that was very very kind and really enjoyed the game. So. Yeah. One more Death Bank, I think, was your last oh, game, yeah. which you um, yeah. You said was something. Oh, it was interesting because I've never heard anyone say this, but it, like, cause I'm, I only kind of really half followed the Death Bank thing. This is the thing I've only had internet uh, for like a week after moving house. So for the last month, I've been offline at home. And there's, if I do, if I'm using internet specifically, you know, very to to do very specific things uh, outside of the house. So I've missed a lot of these summer games, and Death Bank is is one of them. But I didn't get the feeling from what I had read that it was comparable to Torchlight, and yet you said it was comparable to Torchlight. So explain why it is comparable to Torchlight. Oh, oh dear. Well, I, I've not played Torchlight because I, I don't have a, a good gaming PC, and I, I'd probably play it if it was on a console. But anyway, uh, they both get compared to Diablo a lot. Okay, I see. That. <laughs> I, I didn't... I, I, this is the weird thing. I've, I've, most things I've read about Death's Bank have been about its humour. Um... So I'm not really. I don't think I've got a clear idea of how it actually works as a game outside of that. Okay. Um, well, it's technically a hack and slash game, but it's it's more of an action RPG because you you do have direct control of your character. And if I remember Diablo correctly, you you um, basically just clicked on a a character and just went into combat with them. Hmm. And you did. That's correct, right? Yeah. Pretty much point and click to, to attack, just like Torchlight. Okay, see, I, my only experience with Diablo was playing a demo of that game right when it came out, like 15 years ago or 13 years ago, or whenever that game came out. So um, you, you do have direct control. You can actually, you know, swing your you know four different weapons, map to the face buttons and block and everything. And in, that's a technically doesn't work that well if you're expecting it to be an action game, which I was. Um, it's not going to be like Shank where you have the, um, you know, really good system for blocking and countering and, and doing all that. It's, it's pretty messy. But that actually didn't bother me because I believe it is more like Diablo that you, you kind of just accept that when I go into combat, I'm going to be trading blows. I'm not going to have this level of precision. And you just kind of get new gear and do side quests and, you know, go into to more battles and and it's technically something that I feel like I shouldn't like for that reason because I'm not really I do like having direct control over my character and having more precise combat and I'm also generally not a fan of, of having to level up 
to take on challenges. I kind of like it when it's more like Metroid, where you can fight at any point. It's just you have a better chance if you're at a higher level. And this is kind of... Um, it's very RPG-ish in that way. But I found myself really liking it, mostly because it's so well-paced. Like, you're, you're constantly gaining levels and completing side quests and finding new loot. So uh, even if you only have, you know, five minutes to sit down with the game, you'll have found something useful in that five minutes. You know, whether it's, a, you know, a new piece of armor or a, um, a new level or a new perk or just completed a side quest or two. Like, you're just, it has a really good sense of momentum. And I feel like if the game was longer, it probably would have outstayed its welcome. If it was more than 20 hours or so, I probably would have been intimidated. But it took me about, let's say, maybe 13 or so hours. And I feel like just as I was starting to get kind of tired of it, it ended. So <laughs> That's always the best way to, to make your exit. Yeah, yeah I feel like it was, you know, I give it fairly high praise. The humor was okay. I kind of agree with um, Sparky Clarkson reviewed it on, on Game Critics, and he summed up my thoughts pretty well that it it kind of had, he didn't really like the premise that much, that the game does a good job of of being based around Deathspin's worldview, of he just kind of views everything in these black and white terms of, you know, he's good, he will stomp evil, and and he's just not that compelling a lead. Like, you, you get the joke about him in a demo, and which is especially disheartening after, you know, Ron Gilbert created Monkey Island. I think Guybrush Threefoot is one of the best video game characters, like, even though, you know, um, I think Sparky compared, said that Guybrush was a, a moron hero as well, and I disagreed with that. I think that Guybrush was actually quite intelligent and, and you know, more Sherlock Holmes that he... Really? He, you, you'd say Guybrush was an intelligent character? Yeah, he was socially awkward, but um, often in, in a very hilarious way, but, like... At the end of the day, he always got the job done in a ridiculous way. But that was the thing. It's more like a sort of uh, fortuitous moron rather than any kind of intelligence about it. I mean, he, I always got the you know the sort of impression that he didn't really uh, have a grip on what was going on around him. Like you know, he's stuff going on, and he he says something which is like you know completely missing the point of what's going on around him. And I, I, I mean, I, hmm. I, I I don't know. I, I can. I don't, I, mean, think, I, I, I don't think it's like, a negative way of saying he's a moron. I just think, you know, that that's he was kind of like, you know, like the, the Fry from Futurama. Yeah, I of that of, say he reminds me a lot of Fry. Right, exactly. <laughs> and I think that Fry is, excuse me, um, Guybrush, he, he's a little more intelligent than that. Like, he, he's definitely stupid in terms of social situations. But I, I think that the... The interesting thing about Guybrush is just how immoral he is, <laughs> that he has right. to stomp on so many people to get his way. Um, right. But he gets it, and I, I think that that's always been kind of kind of interesting. Um, I don't know. I, I guess uh, I, I found Guybrush more naive than stupid, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I, can, I can see that. Yeah, no, I can. Right. There was a sort of... Like he, he's clueless, uh, but he still, at the end of the day, has the the chops to to get what needs to be done. And you feel like when he does become, you know, the mighty pirate that he always wanted to be, that he he did something cool that nobody else would have thought of. Like there's a reason that nobody else had made it to Monkey Island, and that Guybrush has. 
And there's also this kind of like sardonic thing that he has with the player, where if you if you do something stupid, he'll call you up on it. Um, you know, like if you try to to put, I don't know, I can't. Remember, this is such a long time since I played the Secret of Monkey Island and all the Monkey Island games. But if you if you try to put something into something where it does just doesn't go, he'll go. No, that really doesn't work, does it? Or you know, something like that. These kind of sort of almost condescending yeah, <laughs> replies, which I, yeah, yeah. I, I can see that. Yeah, and I, well, I think also the, I think the most important distinction between him and Despink is that Guybrush was just a likable character, despite being really immoral a lot of time. He was a sympathetic character, and Despink is just you know a big, strong you know meathead, and it's just not that interesting. And like a lot of the actual jokes are are okay. There is some funny dialogue, but it's more just kind of amusing rather than laugh out loud funny. So I was a little disappointed in in that. So I, I wrote a blog post where I said most of this before, um, how in terms of both writing and combat, I was a little underwhelmed, but enjoyed the game in spite of that, just for its addictive nature. And it made me think that maybe I would like games like Diablo and Torchlight that I, I thought that maybe would be my cup of tea. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, I, feel I would I would recommend then that you give Torchlight a go because it's it's going very cheap on Steam. I think still it must be it, five or six pounds, so what ten dollars? Uh, it'll work on Mac. Come to a console because I basically uh, use my Netbook these days. Um, well, it will it'll work on a Netbook. Oh, I don't know how bad how how casual oh. Netbook is. Um, but it worked on my on my girlfriend's MacBook. So oh, okay, maybe it will. Then I should actually uh, research this and. Um, I may like it, but to, to um, answer your question, it, it should. I think it is coming to. Um, well, the developer has talked about it coming to consoles, uh, presumably as a you know on, on live arcade and PlayStation Network in the future. So I'll, I'll see if I can give Torchlight a, a shot. Um, but I think I, I would recommend it. I'm I am kind of of two minds about the new sequel coming out. That they apparently the whole game had been complete or near complete, and they cut it in two. And I'm fine with them cutting it in two because it's it would be a very robust package. The first Death Bank is pretty long for a downloadable game. The second one's going to be even longer. So we're talking, you know, 30 hours of game here. So I, I'm I'm okay with that with them charging 30 bucks for it. It's just I kind of wish that they had told us it was episodic because I kind of feel like that may have influenced my decision. I might have waited until both chapters were complete before I decided if I had gotten involved and. Um, it's an odd decision, but I'll, I'll probably get the second one. I'm just not sure that I want to get it right now. Probably need a little break between death spanks. <laughs> between death spanks. That just sounds wrong. Um, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I think that brings to an end our, our two-parter of a car mode. Uh, it started off as a one-parter, and then we kept on talking, and it became a two-parter. Um, so, uh, I would just like to thank my partner in crime today, Mr. Jeffrey Matliff. Thank you so oh. much. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for uh, having me uh, fill Joe's spot for co-op. Yes, we should say uh, why Joe isn't on. Uh, it's not that I've kicked him off the podcast finally, as I've been wanting to do for ages. No, it is because he is in South Carolina, I believe. Is that right? South Carolina? I you, don't do you know, know Jeff? I, You're the one in America. I, I, I just know he's on, vac- on vacation. You, you should know which state he's in, surely. Uh, I, I need to find a tracker on that guy. Ah. <laughs> uh. We all wish we could know what Joe was doing, but Joe, I, I believe he's on vacation in either 
I think it's South Carolina because that's where Eddie is, isn't it? South Carolina. Oh man, they could be hanging out right now. I think this is the thing. I think they've agreed to, to, to hang out. They're going to do some stuff. So, uh, our two departed Big Red Potioners are chilling out probably as we speak in South Carolina or not some other state in America. <laughs> they're, they're up to shenanigans together, I'll tell you that. Yeah, yeah. Watch out. Whichever state they're doing things cooler than recording Big Red Potion. Nothing is cooler than recording Big Red Potion. <laughs> What a ridiculous statement. Shame on you, Jeffrey Matlef. Um, but <laughs> well, it was fun while it lasted, being his uh, sub for one episode. Yeah, bring Joe back. That's what I said. That's what I said. Joe, Joe would never say such such blasphemy. Um, but anyway, <laughs> you've done a you've done a fantastic job uh, in his in his stead, and I think you should be rewarded by telling us about the, the various things you've been up to and uh, where we can find some of your writing. I know that you have had a column just go up at Gameset Watch. Please tell us about that. Oh, um, well, it's called Define Design, and each it's uh, bi-weekly, so every other week I look at a a topic I think bucks some current trend and analyze that in detail. So one of my recent ones was about um, games that that fill out their stories only after you beat them, like on a second playthrough. Um, and I have another one going up, I think it went up today, and I haven't actually checked. Um, anyway, I have another one about silent protagonists and examples of silent protagonists, I think, are are done very well. Because I'm generally not that, that big Did a Did you sneak, sneak preview for us? Which, which silent protagonists do you think are done which ones aren't. Okay, um, I'm not I, a big fan of Gordon Freeman. I always found that silly how people talk to him and he does not talk back and there's no reason that he shouldn't. Um, I guess a simple example would be uh, comparing Link um, from Zelda to uh, Amaterasu in Okami. And I think that it's done much better in Okami because they're very similar games. You know, Okami's frequently referred to as Zelda clone. But in Okami, you're playing as a wolf, so it kind of makes sense that people aren't talking to you. But at the same time, you've got this little bouncy um, miniature companion, which is kind of a um, like the fairies in Zelda. And your companion does all the talking for you. And I think that, that makes a lot more sense than how Link, like in Ocarina, implied that he had a girlfriend or he's close friends with this girl. And she's like, you know, I'm going to miss you so much. And then he just kind of runs off. <laughs> all right. So that, that's one example. I have a few others, including um, Zack in Deadly Premonition. Ah, to tie it all in expertly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, we could talk forever about silent protagonists, and you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of Gordon Freeman. I just, I think it's interesting in terms of bringing up Link into the discussion, because uh, I think he's a kind of an example of a bit of a false silent protagonist in that he's he's silent, but because of the way the Zelda games are designed, you know, primarily without speech, you're just not hearing you're not seeing inside the conversation, but you're seeing people respond to something he's presumably said. Uh, you know, like, oh, you found this, or oh, so that's where she is. You know, like that. You're not seeing him say, that's where she is, or I found this. Which I always think is kind of interesting. Where's that's a good point. Frame? I probably should have compared that to um, Gordon and not lumped them together, so... Uh, I, 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 it's just a different kind of thing, isn't it? I don't know. Um, uh, but I, I, I can. I, your point about Gordon Freeman, like the the, the why he doesn't, is a, is a very hard point to argue against. Like there isn't any reason why why he shouldn't. 
when yeah, that so game just, I just kind of brought up some examples of games where they kind of incorporate the fact that they're silent into the logic of the game. Um, some can be excuses for maybe why this character can't talk, like being an animal or being a multiple personality. And there's some other examples too. And I think if, if they do it correctly, it can, it can work very well. I think the, the, the sort of feeling we've been try not to get this into a whole other sub-episode but I I, <laughs> I, I I guess we've got the feeling I always got the feeling like he was being swept along like he there just wasn't an opportunity for him to talk and I, it was a feeling I got much more in the in the, in the first Half-Life than I did in the second but you, they did make little jokes about it in Half-Life 2 like uh, I think he's uh, a quiet guy yeah he's a quiet guy that comes up a few times and uh, he does it's, it's, it works again in Portal it, it Having a side of Well, it works in those games because you don't have anybody to talk to. Well, you could yeah. presumably talk back to, to Dados, couldn't you? Uh, yeah, I, I guess that you could. But it, 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 the, the fact that you don't almost kind of really enforces the impressiveness of it, like you are here. And you are kind of the, almost in a weird way dependent on it, which I guess is the whole thing they're trying to cultivate. So I feel like it's more effective to have shell silent in that game than to have a speak mm-hmm. yeah I, I would agree with that but anyway your column is going to discuss it <laughs> a lot better than I'm going to so um, do you, do you think that probably be up by the time the show goes up tomorrow on Monday yeah I think oh, that well it should go up because this, this, will, this second segment will go up in a week after we've recorded so anyway uh, thank you for sort of joining us on this this voyage which is I don't know how long it's going to be once I edit it but hopefully over two parts it won't have destroyed your mind but uh, anyway last last thing to say is thanks to Jeff again and we will join you in I think under a week or two weeks time when we will be joined by a special guest or two otherwise bye for now <laughs>